Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to day number two, study number two of our June study weekend together. I think you'd all acknowledge and agree that we got off to a great start last night with our brother Dave Hill. We learn about a young boy where the Spirit of God was going to rest upon him. There was going to be that tug of war. Was he going to be a child of Egypt or a nourished child in the things of God? And we learned that he was going to be a stranger in a strange land and all the lessons of his youth, those full 40 years, would become skills for him to separate himself and to become a leader and a shepherd of God's chosen people. And that's the theme that Brother Dave's going to pursue this morning under the general theme, Moses, a shepherd taken from Exodus chapter 3. So our theme this morning is Moses, the shepherd, and Brother Dave's asked that we use Exodus chapter 3 to introduce his thoughts to us this morning, and we'll call forward our brother Tim Edgecombe to lead us in that reading. Thanks, Tim. Reading Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of Yahweh appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good and a large unto a land flowing with, a milk, with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I will be that I will be. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I will be hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Yahweh, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, Yahweh, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and I have seen that which is done unto you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites 
unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbour and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. And uh, we now look forward to hearing the words of Brother Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Jamin, and good morning, brethren, sisters and young people. It's a pleasure to be with you again on such a beautiful uh, winter's morning. Now, last night we mentioned briefly this remarkable transition uh, for Moses from Egyptian royalty to a lowly shepherd. Now, I say a lowly shepherd because, we, as we mentioned last night, to the Egyptians this was quite a despised profession. Let me read to you what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 46, verse 33. He said to them, it was quite wise advice, quite astute. He said, when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what is your occupation? You shall say, which was quite true, thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth, even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Now, the best way to render that word abomination, we don't tend to use that, too often these days, but it would be the word disgusting. They found it quite disgusting. This was an incredibly clean in terms of all their uh, rituals and religious sort of ceremonies, the Egyptians, and a shepherd was a very lowly, dirty, despised profession. What a transformation. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and he chose a profession that others found disgusting. From revered to repulsed. What an extraordinary transition for Moses and one that was certainly in the providence of God to prepare him to lead. You think about the skills that Moses led, uh, uh, learned as a shepherd. We've already seen that he had a beautiful heart a man moved with compassion. We can imagine him, uh, the affection he built for his flock. We've seen that he was willing to lay down his life for others. Um, and in the words of the Lord Jesus, we can imagine him willing to lay down his life for his sheep. We can imagine his sheep hearing his voice and him knowing his sheep. A shepherd who was willing to take up his sheep in his arms and carry them in his bosom. All those analogies we know from the Bible about shepherds, I think we can resonate with them in the life of Moses. He would have been a truly remarkable shepherd. We also saw that it was very interesting that when he went out to see his brethren, he was on a mission. He thought he was going to deliver them. The Exodus then he thought they would put two and two together and work it out, but they didn't. Stephen tells us they didn't understand. He then had to spend another 40 years before he was ready to lead. 40 more years, 80 years of age. I think there's a lesson in that, isn't there? That we ought not to sort of rush for any eminence necessarily in the ecclesia or any particular leadership roles until we just have that beautiful thing called experience, which tends to lead to a lot of common sense 
and good judgment. That's just as an aside. I think particularly, though, for Moses, he had to develop other characteristics, patience, resolve, nurturing, nourishing the flock, but also leading them gently. Not just a prince who was entitled to lead by virtue of his title, but someone who gave of himself to his flock. And I think that was a remarkable thing that God did. He also had the chance out there in the hills and valleys of Midian to learn from God. Listen to what Isaiah says, because God's the ultimate shepherd, isn't he? Above all else. And Moses learned from him. Listen to this, Isaiah 63, verse 11. Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with Moses, the shepherd of his flock? Then it speaks of God. Where is he that led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, that led them through the deep as an horse in the wilderness, that they should not stumble? So we can imagine out there in the, the, the wilds of Midian, first it would have steeled him for 40 years going through the wilderness. Um, that's very true. But he, we can imagine him conversing with God, learning the skills of a shepherd from God himself, the master shepherd. There's also a really nice little touch um, that we find in relation to Moses as a shepherd. And it's right there in verse 1. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock. Do you see that? It says that he kept the flock and he led the flock. And brethren and sisters, to be leaders in our community, in our ecclesias, it takes both, doesn't it? It's not all about leading. It's not all about being out in front. It's also about, as the word means, being a guardian, about keeping the flock. It's not just about being out in front, going before the leader. It's about keeping, being the guardian. I was recently up in Asia and I learned a really interesting thing about how different societies think about leadership. You may have seen this. There was an image of a bunch of little fish swimming along in water. And in one image, there's a fish out the front and then a whole sort of school of fish. And the question is, who's the leader? And in Western society, we would say, that person out the front, right? In Asian society, they often say it's the person at the back, guiding the flock, steering the flock. It's a very interesting perspective, isn't it? And Moses was both. He led the flock and he kept the flock. A wonderful shepherd. We also learn, verse 1, that Moses led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And we know this story pretty well. An angel appears unto him out of a bush. It, it burns, but it doesn't deteriorate in any way. It's not, um, it's not com uh, but combustible, as we might say. But Stephen goes on to tell us something that is quite wonderful. Acts 7 verse 31, Stephen says that Moses wondered at the sight. He wondered at the sight. The Greek means to marvel. He marveled at this sight. This is remarkable. That bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's amazing. It's a miracle. And he stopped in his tracks and he marveled at the evidence of the hand of God. Have we stopped marvelling, brethren and sisters? Just think of recent times, extraordinary things that have happened that are every bit as good as bushes on fire that are not consumed. Just think, did we stop and marvel when we saw Russia right on the border of Israel in, this, in the Golan Heights, right there, less than four kilometres from the border. Did we stop and marvel? What about when we saw Brexit, which nine out of ten economists, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, 
Um, one of the most uh, landslide victories from David Cameron, they all said, no, nah, it's not going to happen. Don't recommend it. It happened. Tarshish was separated from the land of Magog right before our very eyes. And then you had the basest of men set up over the kingdoms of men. All extraordinary things. All fulfilling prophecy in their own way. All in our time, very recent. Did we stop and marvel? Do we sometimes fail to see the burning bushes for the trees, as you might say? They're all around us. Are we stopping and marvelling at the evident hand of God? But you see, Moses didn't just marvel and that was it. Wow. And nothing more. It's very, very interesting. Stephen tells us that he first saw it, he then wondered at the sight, and he then drew near and beheld it. He saw it, he wondered, and he drew near. The word saw it is that Greek word we know really well, oida. It's probably not a very good pronunciation, but it means to know or to perceive. He perceived the hand of God in this. Okay, And then he drew near. Brethren and sisters, lots of people see bushes on fire today and do nothing. Many people in this world saw all the events that I've talked about. They saw them, but they didn't wonder at them and they certainly didn't draw near to ponder them. Because Stephen says, after those three steps the voice of God came to Moses out of the bush. So maybe for our young people, if we want to hear what God has to say to us, if we want God to work in our life, we need to see what happens in the world, wonder at it and draw near to him because then the voice of God will come to us. That's the powerful message of Moses. All right, let's move to verse 4 of Exodus 3. It says there, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And maybe we could think about this like a phone call. You know, sometimes your phone rings and you think, no, I'm too busy. I'm occupied. If it's important, I'll call again. doesn't suit me right now. Are we like that sometimes with God? God's still calling to us out of burning bushes, brethren and sisters all the time but are we preoccupied with life or work it gets so busy when I'm ready maybe I'll, I'll turn to do that I'd love to do the readings but it's too hard tonight I'd love to do that study I've been meaning to but I'm too busy I really should go and see that brother or sister but I'm too busy. Do we answer the call? God is calling to us. Miracles are happening today. There is bushes burning and not being consumed. And God is calling out of those bushes to us today. Maybe not in such a dramatic fashion, but I think some of the events I've talked about are pretty dramatic, aren't they? Are we listening? Are we hearing? And are we responding? But there was something else in that little line about Moses that's really powerful as well. How does he respond? His first words are, here am I, here am I. Do you know who all the here am I's are in the Bible? Do a little search for the word here am I. Some of the most wonderful people you could ever imagine. Here's the here am I's. Abraham said it. Isaac said it, Jacob said it, Joseph said it, 
Isaiah said it. Ananias said it to go and meet Saul. They're the here am I's. Are we a here am I? Is the question. Because there was somebody else who got asked a question and what did they say, right? Remember that what Jesus said, Luke 9, 61. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first. But let me first. So, brethren and sisters, let's ask ourselves, am I a here am I or a but let me first? But let me first. What did Isaiah say? I mentioned he was one of them. The voice of the Lord said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here am I. Send me. In your ecclesia, we know, I know, I don't know who they are, but I know there would be a bunch of here am I's. And sadly, there's probably a bunch of, mm, but let me first. What sort of person are we in our ecclesia? Are we up for it? Are we ready and willing? Or maybe not just now. And young people, there's another little lesson. I remember um, there was a moment when I said, right, I'm getting baptised. And it was at a suburban talk on the Ethiopian eunuch. And what, did, what do we know about that little story? Well, the chariot's going along. The Ethiopian eunuch is there. He's all fired up. And in a really beautiful way, he just says to Philip, there's water. What, what hinders me from getting baptised? Right now, there's water. What's stopping me? He says, what doth hinder me from being baptised. And I sat there in the audience at Suburban one night and I said to myself, what doth hinder me from being baptised? And the answer was donuts, zero. There was nothing. There was nothing. I had no reason, no hindrance. And so I said from that moment, I went home to Dad and I said, I want to be baptised. And that was that. We did some classes with Dad and I got baptised. So two lessons. Are we a but let me first or a here am I? And for the young ones, perhaps who haven't decided to be baptised, ask yourself in your life, what's stopping me? What hinders me? And like that eunuch, sounds a bit impulsive, doesn't it? But he was so committed. It all made sense. The scriptures were unlocked. I want that. Okay, we next read verse 6. A little interesting point here. Verse 6, God said to Moses, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now Stephen tells us that Moses trembled. He trembled. Because he realised that before this burning bush, he was standing before God on holy ground. I am your God. I am your Father. And I just thought it would be worth just pausing here for just a minute to think about us when we stand on holy ground. In many respects, we stand on holy ground all the time, don't we? Because God is all around us. Our Lord Jesus is with us here as we're gathered together. But maybe there's a sort of extra special moment when we stand on holy ground before God, our Father. And that's in prayer, isn't it? And he is our Father, and I think it's really important, and it's a lovely thing that we build a familial relationship with God as our Father. But it ought never to be flippant, should it? You know, I must say, when I hear some of the prayers that our young people give, I'm deeply moved. I love how many of our younger brethren pray. It's beautiful. Perhaps they don't use the same turn of phrase that I do or others of us do, but it's sincere and it's from the heart and it's beautiful. It's not like that when it's flippant, is it? It ought never to be so familiar that we forget 
that we stand on holy ground, should it? But equally, it's not a performance either, is it? shouldn't be flippant, but it shouldn't be about self-aggrandizement either. We're praying to the God of the universe, the Father of all humankind. Never flippant, but never a performance. Never praying to an audience, but remember we stand on holy ground. I just thought that would be useful. Moses trembled. Deep reverence and respect. And I think if we always have that in mind, particularly young people, we'll never go wrong, will we? Okay, verse 8. God says, I am come down. He says, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. But then he says in verse 10, I will send you. I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So hang on, verse 8, it's I'll bring them out, but verse 10, you'll bring them out. So who's bringing them out? The point is that God delivered them from the land of Egypt. God did it. There's a legal relationship that is a principle and an agent. Okay? One is acting as an agent for the principle. It's often like that in real estate franchises, for example. God was the principal. Moses was the agent. God led them out through the vehicle of Moses, working with Moses. I think that's a really important point. Tragically, very tragically, Moses made one mistake, which is so sad, later in his life where he just missed that point. Must We, must we do this? And for that, God said, "Mm, it's not about you, Moses. You'll see the land, but you won't go in. Wow. So, brethren and sisters, if we ever think it's about us, we ought to stop and have a long, hard look at ourselves, shouldn't we? a really long, hard look at ourselves. You remember the words that Jesus said? He said, if you ever sort of get a bit carried away, if you ever think it's even just a little bit about you, remember that even if you have done your whole duty, you're still an unprofitable servant. You've just done your duty. It's never about us. And if ever it does become just a little bit about us. There is that amazing expression that's always so humbling, isn't it, in Corinthians? He that thinks he stands, just take heed lest you fall. should never be about us. It was never about Moses. God delivered them out of the land of Egypt. Moses was the instrument, the ambassador, the shepherd through whom God worked but that's all he ever saw himself as. Such was his meekness. That's why it's such a beautiful trait of Moses. So meek, never about him, purely a vehicle for God's work. I think it is a bit sad, isn't it, if ever we see um, the truth and our work in the truth ever become a vehicle for self-promotion. It should never be that way, should it? Ever. Verse 11. Moses' response, so God says, I'm going to work through you and look at this meekness. Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? But verse 12, God says, certainly I will be with thee. I will be with you. And it's here that we see perhaps for the first time in the most stark way this meekness of Moses, this attribute of the man meeker than all the men on the face of the earth, it says of Moses. So meek, who am I that I should go? And I think it's a good question to ask. You know, there's a few basic facts, isn't, isn't it? Our existence is fairly precarious. If God turned the, the air off, we're dead. 
right? So if we ever think we're pretty special, we would be gone pretty quick if we stop breathing. Bang. So we're not that special. We're not that powerful, are we? Who am I? And then when you think, sometimes we look at each other and compare ourselves to each other, like the disciples did. Who's the greatest? Well, the gulf between us and God is so massive, right? He's here. We're way here. It's a bit weird for us to say, I'm sort of point zero 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 one ahead of you. What a, what a stupid mentality. It always should be, who am I? Always humble, always meek, always keeping it in perspective. I'm an instrument for God's work. That's who I am. But on the other hand, we ought never to confuse meekness with laziness, should we? Yeah, Moses wasn't lazy. Here I am. I'm up for it. But he was still meek. We ought not to sort of see meekness as a way to laziness. I'm so meek. I'm so humble. Um, who am I? That's very convenient. I'll do nothing. Well, that's not how it rolls, is it? Moses didn't do that at all. He worked really hard. 40 years in the wilderness. Meek, but exceptionally hardworking. Always up for it, but always keeping it in perspective. Now, Moses tells us a great um, fact, as I alluded to... Sorry, did I say Moses? Stephen tells us a great fact. Apparently my kids said I went to say the seven dwarfs last night. If I did, I didn't even know I did, but Eddie said, yes, you did, Dad. Um, I didn't mean to say seven dwarfs. I meant to say seven daughters. Stephen, um, when he write, uh, give, gives his speech in Acts chapter 7, um, he says, This Moses did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. Now, we have no time in our studies together to look at this, but on every occasion when you read the conversations between Moses and God, think of the angel. Have you ever, you know, when you read through Exodus, um, the conversations Moses has with God, you think, my word, it's an angel and they became incredibly close. They spoke to each other face to face. They were friends. They reasoned together. They debated certain issues. Quite remarkable. But Moses went forth with the angel. With the angel. And you know, it's really hard, isn't it, for us to think about the angels as much as we should. How often do we think about the angels? We sometimes talk about being really lonely, and life can be lonely. We talk about being alone. But then there's Psalms, I think it's Psalm 34, that says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Do we feel that? Do we feel them camped around us here today, around this gymnasium? Because they're here. We just can't see them. We can't see the, the pillar um, by day and the pillar by night, but it's there. It's absolutely there. The angels are with us. And if there's one great lesson from the life of Moses, the angel was with him every step of the way. Quite incredible. Let me just read a couple of little psalm um, references to you. This one's beautiful. Psalm 91 verse 11. Think of this. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands. Do you ever think of that, brethren and sisters? Angels carrying you in their arms. That's what it says. They'll carry you in their arms. I mean, you think of our, our, the Jeffress family at the moment. We'll all try to help and to comfort. You as an ecclesia will be wonderful in that regard. But so will God the comforter and so will his angels who bear us up in their arms. Listen to this next bit. 
lest you dash your foot against a stone. You know, sometimes you, you know, you're walking along with your child so they don't stumble and fall. That's the angels with us, brothers and sisters. It's such a great shame in that sense we can't see them. But in the eye of faith, let's believe they're there. Let's feel them there. Let's make it real. To Moses, it was everything. He took the hand of that angel and he went forward. Who am I? That was the perfect thing. What does the Lord require of us? To do justly and to walk humbly with God. When we're humble, when we're meek, we trust like a little child. And he trusted that comment from God. Certainly I'll be with you. And how was he with him? With that angel that went with him everywhere. And as I said, that's a study in itself. We never walk alone. Let's skip across to Exodus 4 verse 10. Because there's an interesting little reference here by Moses that might seem a bit curious to us. Um, verse 10, Moses says to God, um, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. How, how, how come you're choosing me? I'm not eloquent. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto this, thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now, you might be thinking, well, hang on, isn't that a contradiction to what we looked at last night where Stephen in Acts says that Moses was mighty in words and deed, mighty in words. Well, mighty in words? Hang on, what? there's a disconnect here. Well, let's just unpack what Moses says because it's quite interesting and we might feel this way sometimes ourselves. The word eloquent isn't really that. It just means to speak, to speak. The word slow means heavy and the word speech is actually the word for mouth. So it's not saying, it's not contradicting Acts 7 at all, it's not per se saying I'm not eloquent. He's saying my mouth is heavy, I'm not used to talking much. I'm a shepherd, I chat to sheep occasionally and they don't really communicate back. I've got my wife and children but I'm a lonely shepherd. I'm not used to this is what he's saying. My mouth is heavy. I don't, haven't been opening that, it that much. I'm not accustomed to this. For 40 years, I've been a shepherd whispering to my sheep in the wilderness. It's not that he wasn't capable. It's not that he wasn't a master logician, a skillful debater. He just hadn't been in practice for a while. And he's saying, oh, maybe I'm not the right person. With that context, look at what God says. So beautiful what God says back. God says to, to Moses, he says in verse 11, well, if that's the case, if that's how you feel, who's made man's mouth? That word mouth is the exact same word for speech in verse 10. Who's made your mouth? Have not I? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. So there's a bit of a lesson for us in that, isn't there, brethren and sisters? Many of us are a bit shyer or a little bit more introverted. Um, we might feel a bit like Moses. I'm not used to speaking, but it's, again, not a reason to not. We are all commanded, aren't we, brethren and sisters, to preach in season and out of season. It's not an option it's a command. We have to do it. But we might say, oh, I'm, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I'm not used to that. Well, what did Jesus say to his disciples? Some of them were fishermen. They're not used to going out and talking to people like that. He said pretty much what God said. He said, take no thought how or what you will speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. That's essentially what God said to Moses. I made your mouth. I'll help you. Go forth in faith. And I think that's true of us today. You might be caught at a shopping centre moment or an instant at work and you think, ooh, ooh. And then you suck it up and you say, well, yeah, this is what I believe. And that's God, I believe, working in us, helping us to have the courage to speak out of what, about what we believe and who we are, just like Moses did 
in extraordinary circumstances to the king of the world. Verse 20. We've got to enter into some of the, the story here um, because this is a courageous act and it just sort of flows in the record. Verse 20. Moses took his wife and his sons. He set them upon an ass and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Now, remember that people were seeking his life. God said to him, we know that, we looked at it last night, those who seek your life are dead, right? There were people seeking his life. He also says to um, Jethro um, in verse 18 there, he says, let me go, I pray you, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt and see whether they yet be alive. Now that may be referring to their age, but I think it's more than that. My brethren, they were suffering such extreme persecution. Will they still be alive? So when it says he saddled up his ass and drove back into Egypt, that's a brave act, right back into the furnace where his life, where he used to be the most wanted. I can imagine words like Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because... Your rod and staff are with me. And there he is, sat on that ass with the rod of God, probably white-knuckled, in his, in his hand, riding back in to see whether his brethren are still alive. What a remarkably courage, courageous act, brethren and sisters. And you know that rod, it basically never left his hand. God said, certainly I will be with thee. Certainly I'll be with you. And that rod and that staff accompanied him all the way. And you know, sometimes we're a bit funny about some things like that seem a bit churchy or whatever. But some of us do this. Um, some people have a, a, a bracelet or a necklace or something that they wear, carry, doesn't matter. That's a physical reminder that sort of reminds them of God, reminds them of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think that's a bad thing. We don't have to have it because we've got prayer, haven't we? And that can go with us anywhere we go, any moment. And we can step forward in faithful prayer, believing that God is directing our paths. That's how I see prayer. You don't sort of pray and say, now God which direction you step forward in faith believing that God is directing our paths that seems to be the way David led his life and here Moses did that he took the rod and he bravely rode back into the very sort of furnace in which they were seeking his life very brave thing to do just a little point too on verse 29 I love this little image and Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the people. Moses and Aaron. Do you have a best friend? Like seriously, in, in the meeting, do you have a best friend? I always think it's really sad when we don't have a best friend because it's really, really important, even when we're older I'm talking about, to have a best friend because it's really important sometimes when the going gets tough if we don't have such a close friend in the faith in the truth it can be pretty difficult and there's some amazing co-leaders in the bible isn't there Moses and Aaron Ruth and Naomi think of those two David and Jonathan Paul and Silas pairs people together I'm really privileged. I've got a best mate in the truth and it's great because we can be really open, we can chat, we're there for each other and we're great friends in the truth. So ask yourself, you know, there's those beautiful proverbs of friend loves at all times, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you have a friend like that? Yes, we have our life partner, our, our wife or our husband and they're special beyond compare, beyond compare. No one comes close. Um, at a human level, of course, right? 
But it's pretty good to have a great mate. I don't know what girls say, a BF, a best friend, BFF or whatever. Um, it's really good to have that, someone you can catch up for coffee with. I really love it at Aberfour Park. All the older men, the retired ones, they regularly get together for coffee and they're great friends. It's a really nice thing. So I just thought that's an interesting little point with Moses and Aaron. They really depended on each other. There was one moment it went a bit wobbly with Miriam and Aaron. That's really sad. But otherwise, wow, they were really tight. And oh, there was the other mistake with Aaron with the calf. But they really helped each other. And it's a great message. Joshua and Caleb, there's so many of them, isn't there? All right, let's finish up this morning's first session in chapter 5, um, verse 1 and 2. It says, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, king of the world. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. That takes some courage, doesn't it? Let my people go. And we skip down a little bit. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who's the Lord? I mean, brothers and sisters, that's pretty much the reaction today. Who's that? Who's that? Who's he compared to me? Unbelievable arrogance, but we see that today. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, therefore he doesn't exist. That's the ignorance of atheism today. I don't know him, so he doesn't exist. Well, stupid is that. Just because you don't know him doesn't mean he doesn't exist and isn't powerful. I will not let Israel go. And what are you doing, Moses and Aaron, he says in verse 4. What are you doing to let the people go from their works? Get you unto your burden. So my word, Pharaoh is forced to be reckoned with. What are you doing here? I don't know your God. Forget that. And what are you doing here? Get back to your burdens. Wow. You know, that's quite a reception, you know. This is the most powerful man in the world the emperor of the world at the time. How would we go? Would we have the courage to go in in such an audience and say, thus saith the Lord, to someone who's, who's that? I don't know him. Get back to your work. Or would we fold? Would we capitulate? Would we just try and assimilate, stay below the radar? Or would we have the courage of Moses and Aaron to do that. You know, it's a funny thing, isn't it? The hope that is set before us is so massive, so amazing, beyond compare. We can't even imagine how wonderful it's going to be. But just a little bit of derision from someone today who might sort of sling at us a little bit, make us feel a little bit small. Sometimes that, that, that is so big that we're pathetic, we go to water. Amazing reward that we couldn't even begin to imagine how it's amazing it's going to be. One little bit of sarcasm or cynicism from someone at work and sometimes we just go to water. We don't want to stand out, we don't want to be conspicuous, we don't want it to be awkward. How do we think God and Jesus feel? Remember Jesus said amazing thing one point he said you know who is ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation Um, do you think I'm going to be proud of you if you're ashamed of me in this sort of society are we like Moses and Aaron have we got the courage every now and again to say, well, this is actually what I believe. You know, Sax and I were talking about it last night. Uh, people don't, they're not, they're not, it's not like we're going to be killed or anything. And actually, particularly in work, they are fair enough, um, whatever, that's your thing. But sometimes even then we're still reticent to just say what we faithfully believe. Moses and Aaron certainly weren't. But that's dealing with challenges from without. Sadly, brethren and sisters, sometimes the challenge from within our community can be even harder to bear, can't it? And Moses and Aaron perhaps found the next challenge even harder. You see, what happened is Pharaoh got pretty fired up because of this. 
And so he said to all of the bosses of all the Hebrews, right, here's the new deal. They have to go and find all the straw, bring it all back, and still make the same volume of bricks, which would have been extraordinarily hard work. You've got to, the straw was there, good to go make the bricks, which would have been hard in itself. They were suffering oppression. But now they had to, because of Moses and Aaron, go and find straw and make the same volume of bricks. Extraordinary. And the, what happened is that Pharaoh and the Egyptians set up Hebrews to be slave drivers over the Hebrews. And those slave drivers, they went into Pharaoh and said, oh, wow, this is just too much, too much. Please, it's too hard. And Pharaoh says, no way. Verse 20, what did they say? What, what did they say when they came out from their hearing? So they've been in there with Pharaoh. He says, forget it. That's how it's going to be from now on. You brought this on yourself. Verse 20, they, this is the Hebrews, met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And listen to the sort of caustic words. They said to them, the Lord look upon you and judge you because you have made our saviour to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. It's your fault. They really turned on Moses and Aaron and savaged them. So, brethren and sisters, when we are at work or uni or school or just generally out and about, yes, as Christadelphians, as brethren of Christ, we have to exercise discretion and diplomacy. We don't want to bring our community, our, our good name, into disrepute by the way we conduct ourselves, what we say. Sometimes well-intended, but it's not received well. We have to be discreet and diplomatic about what we say. Because if we're not, it can be very hard back on our brethren and sisters and our community, which is what happened here. But that doesn't mean we don't make a stand for Christ. Because, you know, Jesus said, he made a pretty remarkable comment. He said that even a man's foes can come from within their own household. And sometimes that will happen. So yes, let's always be discreet. Let's always be diplomatic in the way we make our stand for what we believe. But let's never be so fearful, concerned or ashamed that we fail to make the stand. Moses and Aaron weren't. They made it before the most powerful man in the world. And what a great example that is.